I'd say the noir episode, but actually it turns out almost every episode so far has been a noir episode. But this is the noir fest. This is a deliberately noir episode. This the is noir a deliberately episode. noir. Um, so I don't know, it may, not, it may not end well. I feel like perhaps I'm the femme fatale in this scenario. And I am Nick Marsh and... I am hard-boiled Roger. <laughs> <laughs> well, given the humidity and heat here right now, it's getting pretty close. Well, yeah, um, you, you've got a pretty... Um, Solid yoke. Um, <laughs> uh, I've distracted myself with that metaphor. But we are ostensibly talking uh, today, having uh, done another one of our time trips, which seems to be probably going to do every other episode. is going to be a, a, a retrospective episode based on a film we've watched in the from the modern era. If possibly, we feel like it. If we feel like it. Um, but this uh, this week we have been watching The Maltese Falcon, um, the quintessential noir film, which probably... There were arguably other noir films before it, but this was the one that really cemented the genre, which I would like to talk about the genre itself. Um, And and because of that, uh, we we also had to look at some other films which are more or less noir and more or less in the genre, and indeed more or less the Maltese Falcon. (laughs) I think it's fair to say. Less. (laughs) Less. <laughs> you know, really um, yes, that's right. So this is the 1941 John Huston directed, directed The Maltese Falcon. was the third crack at um, Dashiell Hammett's mm-hmm. novel, which was written in 31, I Serialised in 29 in Black Mask. Okay. So, so um, the first so film was... came out in, 19, in 31. Oh, so it was uh, filmed very fairly quickly afterwards. Mm-hmm. And that was... That was um, was that called the Maltese Falcon? No, this was, is the yes. one that. Yes, uh, yes. yes, and then then we have the delightful <laughs> Satan Meta Lady. The I I, I feel it ha- it has high points, uh, not, not many. It it does suffer <laughs> because it's not the one that happened five years later. Uh, it, it I, I, think I think it's worth mentioning just as a high level view why they did all these remakes. It it wasn't just. Um, because they felt like it, and they'd already bought the rights. It was because the production code had come in. So, yes, so now the we're, we're going to couldn't be reshown. Um, oh, they so of course yes, they couldn't show the older. Um, so the production code. We've mentioned it a few times in the podcast. I keep referring to it as the Hayes Code, much to Roger's irritation. But it was referred to that at the time as the Hayes Code. In my defence, um, but it was the Motion Picture Associ- Production Code, mm-hmm. um, which was brought in. Um, by some very heavily Catholic people who once again had sway over the nation because Prohibition had worked out tremendously well um, ten years previously. Well, it was and, still actually in thirty-one. There were a whole bunch of twenties Hollywood scandals. Uh, was this this kind of fatty arbuckle? Is that the name that swings to mind? Yeah. Um, uh, in fact, this came into uh, well, came into force. During Prohibition, which ended in thirty-three, I think the production code started in thirty-one, but actually wasn't really enforced it, until. It was progressive. I mean, there, there were the there were the don'ts and be carefuls earlier than that. That was in twenty-seven. Um, you know, you, you absolutely uh, may not depict miscegenation. Goodness you, me! You 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 should you should be moderately careful about men and women in bed together. No white slavery. Any other slavery is fine, but no white slavery. Um, you can't depict a member of the clergy in a bad light or as a comedy figure, I believe, was one of the... That was one of the... I don't know if that made it into the, the production code. I bet it did, though. Yeah, so so formally, it was various form. I mean, there, there was the code, then, then there was the 34, uh, where there was actually a production code administration and every film had to get the seal of approval. So that was really when the enforcement started. That's right, and so then, as a, a consequence of that, we had the same story filmed as Satan of the late Satan, uh, what Satan met a lady mm-hmm. um, without a Maltese falcon, but with Charlemagne's trumpet, which doesn't <laughs> roll off the tongue. <laughs> full of jewels, right, so, in theory. <laughs> um, full of jewels, in theory, and then we have John Huston's um, wonderful. I'm just going to say wonderful Maltese falcon um, mm-hmm. because he uh, he was a. That, uh, he so, was a writer. Satan Metal Lady was designed as a comedy. 
Mm. And so, then, particularly since as I understand I'm not necessarily going to agree. Well, uh, they, they decided <laughs> to to make another straight version. So, did the thirty one version do well? Reasonably, yeah. Um, I don't think I, it was a. It, I mean, it wasn't a great success, but it was certainly a success. I'd rather so my the way I'd like to approach this because the other films we watched were based on um, watching Chinatown as well uh, yeah. were um, the Roger you also watched the Big Sleep I didn't get around to that which mm-hmm. is forty forty five forty six yeah both that's, that's, okay that's, oh, good. we'll come back to that oh that'll be why okay um, and then we went right back to contemporary uh, for us nineteen seventy four to watch. Um, the Big Sleep, Robert Altman. Uh, not The Big Sleep, sorry. The, uh, long, the goodbye. long Goodbye. Yeah. The Long Goodbye. And you'll know the theme music because it's the only music that appears in the whole film um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, by Robert Altman, which will of, of much more anon. But I'd like to uh, I'd like to talk about the Maltese Falcon first and then hmm. segue into Noir and then maybe, uh, well, then discuss sure. the other films sure. too. Um, so The Maltese Falcon, the brief... Um, oh, I mean, it's hard to briefly summarise the plot. Oh, did did but... we say spoilers? spoilers? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, there will always be spoilers uh, for every film because it's very hard to discuss films uh, we, in we, any We're depth, barely talking spoilers. about film less than 50 years old, but there will be spoilers. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, uh, the Maltese Falcon, Sam Spade, is um, uh, a hard-boiled private dick um, who is a... Pro- Sorry, I will say private detective to avoid distraction. Um, uh, he was approached by... Um, Ruth, um, played by Mary Astor, um, Sam Spade, of course, the inestimable Humphrey Bogart. Um, a convoluted series of events happen, which I won't go into in too much detail, other than to say Sam's partner is killed uh, very early on, um, and someone is responsible. Um, <laughs> this leads to uh, the discovery of a, a group of uh, thieves slash um Aggressive antiquarians. <laughs> might be a way of it. Um, that, let's face it, they're a player character, Parsi. <laughs> that's right, I hadn't thought of it like that. Um, uh, all around one of Hitchcock's classic MacGuffins, i.e. a thing that is vitally important to the plot and revol- everyone revolves around it and is the cause of all the things, but in itself doesn't actually matter whatsoever. Well, to be, to be fair, the main consideration is that it is immensely valuable. Uh, well, that's right, yes. Um, though it does have, for that, it does have a lovely backstory. So, um, uh, I mean, obviously, it's a classic. I mean, there's many, many things about it that are classic. The casting is amazing. Um, Humphrey Bogart probably fits your definition, Roger, of someone who is a film star rather than an actor. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, his actual range of roles is fairly limited, but he plays within that range very well. Yes, he has um, uh, strong screen charisma. Possibly, I, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but amongst the strongest screen charisma that cinema's ever seen, I would say it's just um, mesmerising to watch, I think. Um, Mary Astor as Ruth, the original, uh, by our definition, by some definition, femme fatale, mm. is an amazing character too. just lies away through every scene um, and and... Um, comes clean, expresses regret, and then lies immediately afterwards as well. She is uh, yeah, fascinating. There's a character. lovely bit of background framing. Uh, there's a point where, uh, towards the end, where Spade is, do- is basically dobbing in everybody except her. Mm. Or arranging that they were yeah, on, on the phone to the police. Yeah. And her expression is that, is that perfect mix of, is my name about to turn up on that list? <laughs> And maybe I can get away with this one. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Right until the end, she is. She still thinks she's she's done it. Um, but he is nobody's. Um, he's nobody's patsy. He's nobody's fool. Um, unlike her, a presumably number of previous partners, certainly at least one. Mister the um, mm. never on screen Thursby. He doesn't <laughs> doesn't do tremendous. <laughs> also, we have Peter Laurie. Absolutely uh, amazing. Yes. I mean, come on, it's just. Um, I mean, I, again, I, I, I'll say Green Street is great as well, but my word, Peter Laurie. Uh, yes, exactly. Well, um, I mean, both. Yes, um, I think it was Green Street's first film role, or because um, he just pops on screen fully formed. If that's the case, I, I mm. think it was, and he's just. In fact, him and Peter Laurie became something of a double act in later years, and yeah. they appeared in a number of other films. But both of them, I mean, Green Street is, yeah, uh, uh, as he is the Basil exposition of this film, uh, he's just again uh, 
amazingly watchable. Um, you love every moment. And Peter Laurie, um, yeah, it's Peter Laurie. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, I think it's fair to say we both feel in our happy place with this sort of film. I mean, it's this, this is one of my favourite films, yes. I, I, I don't really keep a mental top ten list, but if I did, it would be in there. Uh, uh, yes, fair enough. I So, for me... There is one thing that just holds it back from being absent. I mean, it's still stone cold classic in so many ways. You know, the cinematography, the uh, which we'll come on to, I guess, when we talk about noir, the script, which is basically just the novel. Um, I did try and read The Maltese Falcon um, as a consequence of watching the film again, um, but I gave up because it is, you know, it, it's this film. Um, it, and only the I, film. I would argue that the film actually does a better job of being yeah. a film than the novel does of being a novel. I, yes, I, I, uh, I've, I've read a fair bit of twenties and thirties pulp. This the novel wasn't my favourite of it, so um, you may feel very similarly about yours. <laughs> um, but yes, I agree. Um, the uh, the film uh, slightly condensed. It's not like I mean, it's not a long novel. It's not a long film, um, but it's uh, it's very nicely uh, filmed. Uh, that is an absolute. So the the script zings. It is played beautifully by the cast. Um, the uh, again, we'll come on to the big sleep. The classically convoluted plot, which in noir, in some ways, doesn't not super convoluted. Well, really, I mean, so I I, I went into this. It, I, feel. I went into this remembering it being a very convoluted plot, and then that was reinforced by noir being having these, you know, classically impenetrable plots, and the big sleep, which ultimately don't stand up to yeah. analysis. Um, this. This does. It makes sense. Everything is explained. Um, it's perhaps a little tenuous why Bogart's partner gets killed at the beginning, but it is explained. It's mm. just um, it feels like that's the that has some uh, more explaining to do. But it holds water, um, and and to some extent, it doesn't matter. Like a lot of these films, they are really just the plot is just a backdrop um, for cool scenes and characters being cool and hard um well uh, I, I i would argue that not quite uh we come on to that later or we will come on to that well, later uh, to, to me not... the plot works as connective tissue uh in, in yes. any given scene you know what people you could work out on and you know what people want what 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 they're trying to achieve and so on it's, it's well, not I... just i'm going to come in here and be noir and go out again well uh, this was something I wanted to discuss because this is often said about noir. This is where, you know, the plot it doesn't matter. It's really just a backdrop for these characters, as you say, to be noir. Um, I think this is why I don't like The Big Sleep um, nearly so much because I, it does, plot does matter to me and plot holes matter to me. And it, uh, that's, we both have similar, slightly, slightly nerdy tendencies. And I think if I don't understand why a character's doing what he's doing, or same way said, then I am less engaged. Um, mm. uh, which is one of the reasons I really did like Chinatown, because I felt that was... Mm. Uh, the plot was not especially convoluted, and you uh, you followed Jake every step of the way. He, everything that you knew, he knew. Yeah. Advice with. Yeah. Um, this is not quite that, but it, it holds together. So, love all of it. For me... The thing that would have made it possibly my favourite film of all time um, would be if the love story worked for me. And unfortunately, that just doesn't... And I don't know why. It, well, just emotionally... it isn't a love story. It's, it, I don't think it's meant to be. I, but to but me, part, the... part of the thing is that Ruth Bridget is, is trying to play it as a love story. And, and maybe Spade is thinking it would be nice... But it's never going to happen. And he at least knows it's never going to happen. Yes, you never quite know, including Spade, including Bridget to some extent, whether they actually have something that could last. In fact, almost certainly couldn't. But she at least pretends that it could and he vaguely entertains it. But for me, the... we got back to that honour moment in it, you know, that, yeah. you know, the, 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 the moment that Jake Git is utterly failed in Chinatown. <laughs> Um, that wasn't made much of. Here, to me, it, if that had worked for me, um, and it did work, but if it had worked perfectly in the... What we're talking about here is that uh, Spade ultimately does turn Bridget let, let, in right let, let at the end. Let me just borrow the quotes. Uh, when a man's partner is killed, he's supposed to do something about it. Doesn't make any yeah. difference what you thought of him. He was your partner, and you're supposed to do something about it. 
that is yeah that is amazing. he knows that is his code of honor he is not going to break it on the other hand i i would agree with you and i i think this is a weakness that this is not him giving up love for honor because as he goes on to say he knows perfectly well that if 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 he did let her off she would backstab him sooner rather than yeah. later <laughs> and that, so, right, so, maybe so it's, upon... it's not the it's not the honor story that it could have been that is a nice analysis, because I was wondering why it didn't, because to me, that is kind of ostensibly what's happening, that he is giving up love for, and if I felt that, if I felt his, despite his cynical and extremely cold man, I want to talk about Spade's character in a bit, because I'd mm. forgotten he was quite as cold as he is, actually, um, probably because I'm misremembering, getting him mixed up with Philip Marlowe, who was a much nicer character, um, <laughs> uh, if that had worked for me, if um, yeah, if I felt that that was tearing him apart to make uh, that decision, that would have just been the icing on the cake for me. That would have catapulted me to the top. But it it, it doesn't. It is just kind of cynical uh, liars. Being uh, it, cynical it's the only one of the three versions that really mentions the the conflict at all, and in the rest, it's just well, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Bye bye. Oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's played for laughs in there. Uh, <laughs> oh my god, in um. In fact, it, uh, I, oh, Satan met a lady. He just walked off with a different woman in the next in the next scene of the film. Um, but I um, uh, will will come on to that. But yeah, I think that was my. It's not a problem. Well, I suppose it is a problem that holds it back from being in my favourite films ever. Mm. Um, oh, fair enough. But it's it's not a major thing. Uh, th- this story, incidentally, uh, introduced a new English word. Well, uh, yes. I, I, well, not not English specifically. Gunsel. Gunsel. Oh, because, was that where it came from? Yeah, because before this point, it meant uh, to be polite about it to the junior partner in a homosexual relationship. Oh, really? It, it, it's from from the Yiddish for Gosling. And Hammett was getting this in black mask, and he wasn't allowed to use any rude words. So, so he sneaked this in. In a context in which it wasn't immediately obvious what it meant. Oh my goodness! And the editor and didn't now know it, and and everybody copied him and took and took took it to mean you know a gunman, a thug. Oh my goodness! So was that like a, a, a was that like a Polari type slang then? In or was it in, just... in effect, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's um, that's fantastic. I love that. <laughs> I did not know that he was. Uh, I didn't write his name down, um, but he was amazing in it too. Um, that uh, that actor. Um, yeah, that he uh, the the character was Wilma. I can't remember the actor's name yes. offhand. There, there is one particularly lovely bit in in that same. Well, just just before things all fall apart towards the end, you know, uh, in in the front of the shot. Uh, Spade is is talking to Cairo and Gutman, yes, and, and to some to some extent uh, Bridget as well. And in the in the back, he's quietly getting up and quietly sneaking around, and it's framed so that you can't really miss it if you're paying attention. <laughs> and yet, it's plausible that the characters in the scene wouldn't see it. I um. I and so, so that, I, yes, I, I yes. think one of one of the reasons for why is this one so much better than the others is called John Houston. Yes, uh, he did. Um, well, we'll talk about the script. So he was keen to. Uh, I think he'd basically been offered a director. He'd been writing for a long time. He was offered a director's job. They said, "What do you want to do?" And he said, "I want to film the Maltese Falcon." Mm-hmm. Um, presumably with heavy undertones of, well, I'd like to do it properly this time, please. <laughs> um, and my goodness, he did. Um, yeah, he wrote the script, but. I don't know. I feel the script really belongs to Dashiell Hammett. Well, yeah, but both this and the and the Thirty One Falcon uh, share a lot of dialogue with the book. Yes, and even Satan Met a Lady is is quite heavily leaning on on the the plots. It's it's um... oh yeah yeah that 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 is a separate script of the same plot. I would I would argue. Yes, but, but, the, yeah. but these two have a lot of the actual phrases and and speeches kept. Uh, yes, there's a the great deal of verbatim scenes. Um, even to the point of Spade's wonderful performance uh, in front of um, Gutman, um, when he gets angry, storms out, smashes the glass, and walks out grinning down the corridor because he's so pleased with himself, mm-hmm. and then his hand is trembling in the elevator. That's all straight out of the um, straight yeah. out of the book. I mean, it's, I'm not in any way arguing that it was, wasn't perfectly shot and perfectly. We haven't talked about cinematographers very much because I guess we're not film buffs enough to talk about them but the, the there, cinematography... there are some names and some styles that i notice 
but yeah. Mm. I think a bit like soundtrack for us in a way, with some exceptions, like um, if it makes itself know. obvious, then it's, the... it, one could argue it's doing it wrong. Exactly, a bit too showy sometimes. Though I'll I'll let Citizen Kane off an awful lot of things, and <laughs> um, the Cabinet of Doctor Caligari, of course, is a, <laughs> is another exception. Which, of course, this is related to by by distant descent. Um, so yeah, th- this is just for, for the record, uh, Arthur, Arthur Edison, right? Uh, who basically st- started working in film in 1911 and kept going until he, well, as long as he could. Um, he also did Casablanca. Oh my goodness! He also did Satan Met a Lady. To be fair, right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's. Uh, he um, did all I... Quiet on the Western Front. I mean, yeah. He, okay, he did, yeah. He did uh, probably a hundred films. He knew his onions, shall we say? His, his filming. Kind of... <laughs> wow, goodness me. Um, I uh, so I'd like to talk about Spade himself a bit. Mm. Um, Humphrey Bogart. This Humphrey Bogart up until this point had been playing um, two-bit thugs and villains, um, and he, I think he, uh, largely because he pissed off the owner of a studio and was kind of on proba- probation, um, and got the job after oh, what's his name? Which obviously is why he shouldn't have. <laughs> George Raft, who also mm. passed on. Casablanca, I believe, and <laughs> on African Queen, I think, maybe, um, or maybe it was Treasures of Sierra Madre, but uh, <laughs> he, he did some good some, passing some there. Films, yeah. uh, uh, yes, from Humphrey Bogart's point of view. Um, so this was Bogart's kind of breakout role. He, uh, Spade is much, you know, I was talking a lot uh, in Chinatown about how, you know, the, the gumshoe is a man... Uh, a deep down fundamentally decent man, a man of honour and, and true. Well, Spade isn't. I mean, he's a man of honour for sure, and he proves it, but fundamentally decent? Oh, I, don't, I mean, his partner gets killed, he really doesn't care, he's knocking well, off his wife. <laughs> well, m- more than in the other two versions. Uh, but l- l- let me just uh, say, say the uh, Chandler line that I, that I didn't say last time. Uh because I think there is relevance here. Um, down these mean streets, a man must go who is not himself mean, who is neither tarnished yes. nor afraid. The detective in this kind of story must be such a man. He is the hero. He is everything. He must be a complete man and a common man and yet an unusual man. He must be, to use a rather weathered phrase, a man of honour, by instinct, by inevitability, without thought of it, and certainly without saying it. He must yes. be the best man in his world and a good enough man for any world. That's Chandler. We'll come back to Chandler when we talk Chandler, about Chandler, <laughs> yeah, but not Dashiell Hammett's approach. I mean, I don't know that Sam Spade could be classed as a good enough man for any world. Um, he's incredibly callous to the wife of his partner, who he has clearly been having an affair with. So well, the, this, 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 is, this is code era, so we can't yeah. say that. I mean, that, that's yes. the thing. In, 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 the, in the 31, yes, he explicitly has been. Yes, okay. So I did want it because I I didn't watch the uh, entirety of the thirty one. I did yeah. for some reason watch it. Um, uh, yes, and so he's pretty cold about that. He's quite happy to um, beat the shit out of Peter Laurie, who is strongly implied to be homosexual. Um, uh, again, of... in, in the novel, it's pretty much explicit, and the, yeah, the, this is Hamlet we're talking about. Anybody gay must be evil. Uh, yes, yeah. I mean, the look of distaste on Spade's face when he realises he's dealing with a man who has a perfumed, perfumed handkerchief, which clearly only means one thing in this world, or particularly in this code era world. Um, and uh, then to, almost... to, to quote a, a certain other film, mineral water. <laughs> um, so he is not uh, a nice character. He kind of embezzles his way through the film, or at least um, bribes his way through the film. He comes out pretty well, um, although he does <laughs> hand over most of it to the police um, at the end. Um, hands over all his com- comrades. I, I don't think... I mean, he's certainly not dishonourable, but he's dishonest, um, morally questionable, um, hard, cynical character. Um but he is also a wonderful character. You know, he is he's the kind of, you know, from a an RPG character playing point of view, he's a, he's a he would be a dream to play. He, he any situation he is in, he 
immediately sizes it up, turns it to his advantage almost immediately, and talks people into betraying their comrades and selling them out. <laughs> it's just uh, it's, it's dizzying dialogue and dizzying ability. So very different character to Jake Gittes from Chinatown. Yeah. He, he is basically the master of any situation he's in. Yes. Even if he's being knocked out with a mickey. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> even then... Even then they will then leave him alive and leave him next to a newspaper with where they're going next ring, <laughs> which I uh, which I did appreciate. Um, but that didn't detract from the film. I I liked it. Um, yes, he is a man who has a high skill level in fast talk to to, to call to coin a Call of Cthulhu phrase. Um, that is a yes. He's a, he's a great character. He's a very interesting character. He is. I suppose in Chandler's part, he is a full man. You know, he is well realised and well realised. He's not one dimensional or two dimensional. Um, his motivations are complex but understandable and obvious. Um, mm. How did you feel about Sam? Well, I I deliberately watched all all three of these early um, right, translations yes. in order. Okay, and in thirty one and thirty six. Uh, he is basically chasing everything in a skirt. Yes. In 36, uh, it's slightly toned down because of the code, but frankly, not much. Um, plus, that actor is a charisma vacuum, man. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah. These... And I, I think one of the reasons this works is people, had, uh, particularly Houston, had worked out how to work within the code. Yes. Um, yeah, you can imply a thing rather than showing a thing, and it can be more powerful because you're not explicitly showing it. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, the code can't let him be actually sleeping with either. But no. you can strongly imply that he is. And he, he is, um, uh, yes, so he explicitly is. A, does he actually sleep with um, uh, Ruth in the book? Presumably he does explicitly. Um... I don't think so. Okay. It's been a few years, but... But either way, um, it's uh, it's done in a perfect way that is not. I, all the best films of the the um, the production code era do this in that they adhere to it. it I wanted to talk about this slightly in an artistically, uh, in a nice way that implies a lot that doesn't leave a lot to the imagination, but doesn't break the code and dances around it, and it just leaves that sort of feeling of. I don't know, reality or it, it really works for me when they're doing it properly, when they, when yeah. they are doing to it. Did, and I did think you talk about, about uh, Hitchcock and I think, I think it's notorious. The, the notorious. Kissing scene. The three minute kissing scene. No, no kiss cannot last longer than three <laughs> seconds, but there's no rule about when you can start the next kiss. <laughs> Basically it is a three minute scene or two and a half minute scene of three second kisses. Mm-hmm. Um, Oh yeah, Hitchcock was a master at it too. But I just the, this uh, to me, it's it uh, gives the truth to you know the idea that great art can be made under restrictions rather than complete freedom. And you could argue, you know, perhaps modern films nowadays could <laughs> could learn a little bit. Well, from they, they have their own set of restrictions; they're just different ones. It, well, Some, sometimes this is useful. To, I mean, so, let's face it: sometimes the restriction turns into ulupo, and no, nobody has written a great novel without using the letter e. <laughs> okay, yes, fair enough. You can be too restrictive. I'll give you that. Uh, go, but... Going back to Spade for a moment, and the, the, another thing that struck me here is because he's not going after everything in a skirt, it becomes more apparent that he is going after Ruth. He, that he's showing off for Ruth. I am a tough guy. Yes, that's a very good point. Yes, you get the impression Spade is is not that type of character, but yes, he is clearly the, the feeling I get here, and the, this may may well be. Uh... Bogart projecting it is what what this spade enjoys is the danger, yeah, the excitement, yeah. And if that involves sleeping with a hot dame, then he's not going to argue. But that's not the primary reason he's there. Yes, I I agree with all of that. Yes, and he is so. I mean, he almost defines the word cool in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm perhaps being a bit hyperbolic there, but I I don't think I'm the first person to suggest that that he is um. Uh, he's so cool. Mm. So, lo- looking, if if I may, at, at the earlier films, um, of course, they do obviously suffer uh, by not being the forty-one version. 
Yes. Um, I, I did find it very interesting how much more of, of a, well, you know, sex pest is, is a better term than wannabe <laughs> rapist, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, it <laughs> marginally, yes. I mean, in, in the first one, I, I was quite surprised when he was called to be told that, that uh, Miles had been shot, that he was sleeping alone. Really, it's that. So, I the first one I uh, just skimmed over, um, but he is. Uh, so, what? Who's the actor in the first one in the thirty-one uh, version? That one is uh, Ricardo Cortez. Oh yes, yes, and it, yes. So he is a much more um, well sex pesty type character, of and, and and much less cool in these situations. Even though he's apparently much of the same dialogue. Um, yeah, but he isn't Bogart. So. But he isn't Bogart. Did you en- so? Did you enjoy? I mean, uh, the I, I did, one, I we did both enjoy enjoyed. It, but um, but the 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 main and the, this is the the script is derived fairly straightforwardly from the book, much as it is in the forty one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can, I think, read it fairly straightforwardly as a. Basically, Sam Spade's quest for a fall guy, much more than the hard decision about Lodge's his partner versus lust for a floozy. Right. Yes. Um, the other thing is, of course, this is the pre-code version, so there's stuff they can say here that wasn't said later. Ruth has spe- uh, is basically explicitly offering herself to Sam as a bribe. It's okay. implied in the others, okay. but it's it's yeah. Um, Spade has definitely been sleeping with either Archer. Uh, in in some cuts, there there are. Um, it, it it's quite quite clearly pointed out that yeah, the bad guys are homosexuals and therefore evil. Ugh. It's effective in some ways because of its crudity in this regard. It, it's not a masterpiece yeah. of subtlety, but it does a good job of translating the story. I suppose it might help you understand the forty-one, but I, I don't know that it really needs a, a great deal of help. Um, no, but there's there are some contrasts. Um, in terms of the cinematography, it's relatively straightforward. Uh, mm. This one was William Rees, whose other work I, I'm not familiar with. Uh, I mean, he he only did 33 films, so you know. Sure, how And that that this is about the most most well known of them, and it's not very. Um, but. It's it's a fairly straightforward thirties black and white mm. framing and set design and visual production in general, and that 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 certainly made made it clear when I came back to the forty one just just mm. how deliberately strange that was. Well, like, I I I noticed coming to it from the other direction and going back and seeing a, a bit of the thirty one modifier in Sata Meta Lady that it really is striking. You know, literally. It is a lot darker and a lot more. There's a lot more contrast in the. 41. Yeah, in 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 the forty one, everything is flat, flatter, black and white. And e- even yes. when you turn on the light, its main purpose is to produce more shadows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, and that that that's a cliche of of, of uh, noir noir text, but yeah, yeah, you know, it's actually done in the film here. So. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, and then there is Satan Meta Lady, which. Oh. <laughs> Well, yeah, but there, there, I think there is virtue to it. The virtue is mostly Betty Davis. Um, oh, yes. She, she hated this. Uh, the, the, it was one of the two films that caused her to try to break her contract. Basically, uh, they, they, they told her, yeah, all right, all right, yeah, we, we know this is a bit rubbish, but push on with this, and then we'll give you something good next. And then the thing they gave her next was the remake of God's Country and the Woman, which right. is, yeah. <laughs> The the thing is though she she isn't the leading lady in this. Uh, um, Miss Murgatroyd, no. Effie, the secretary. Yeah, whatever you want to call she gets her. massively elevated into. Um, she, she she has she has she, well that's the thing she has this ditzy role where where she supposedly can't spell her own name, but whenever she actually has to do something, she gets it absolutely right, better than the spade equivalent. That's true. I mean, I mean, the secretary in um, Effie is a she's not she's not called Effie at all in the Maltese Falcon, but she's a fantastic character. Yeah, though, though in, in the forty one, she she does fall for Ruth. She 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 believes Ruth's story. Oh yes, she does. Ruth's story. 
she also seems to be the one character in the whole film, the 40, sorry, I've gone back to the 41 one mm. now, that Sam Spade likes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, as an aside, um, yes, Effie is this, uh, yeah, the, this kind of screwball leading lady um, with this veneer of, but that's, that's just pretty lazy writing of a <laughs> of a woman, I think. Well, yeah, although I mean, one could read this as she she's stuck with these big strong men who who um, can't take her seriously, and therefore she will play the dits because that's what they expect, and quietly get on with making everything actually happen. I'd agree with that theory were it not for the final scene where immediately after dumping <laughs> dumping the Ruther like um the Sam alike just immediately walks off with Effie. Um She walks off with him. Uh right, yeah. I, I, I yeah. would say she's she is making it clear to him that this is what's gonna happen next. Uh right, yes. <laughs> maybe I maybe mean, that's that... just me. That 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 is the great Marie Wilson who uh, she's all over the over the thirties. Yes, uh, but... she is she's uh, she's another point, high point in it. I mean, the 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 film to me commits the fundamental sin of being a comedy which is not funny, um, mm. and it's not. It's like, I mean, to me, it's it must. I mean, I couldn't do it obviously, but it must be quite easy to satirise those nar tropes. But of course, none of those were in place at the time that this film was, and it wasn't really a satire. It was just a comedy. I'm not sure he would read the Maltese Falcon and read it. As a comedy, I suppose. I mean, actually, that it's not a wrong reading necessarily, but it, I don't know, it, it didn't explore the right uh, emotional things for me to work as a comedy. Well, there, there was a, I, I won't say remake because it wasn't really intended to be, but but a, a parody version in in the seventies, I believe, which I haven't seen. Um. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not aware. I, I, I think Leslie Nielsen could have done wonders with it in an air, airplane style. So I'm trying to think. Was there, there was supposed to be top secret? There was a noirish. Um, one, one of these days, we're going to talk about Leslie Nielsen and the amazing thing he did in airplane. Um, but yeah. No, uh, <laughs> to, to, to summarise, he burned his entire previous career <laughs> to build a new for, one for the sake of a joke. And yes, it works amazingly. Um, Airplane, of course, classically being the film uh, with the characters not realising they're in a comedy, <laughs> playing it absolutely dead straight, yes, which the, just works perfectly. The, the straight version is called Zero Hour. Well, yeah, but that, <laughs> yeah, that's Seriously, true. That, that's why it works, because everybody's playing it straight. Yeah, it sounds um, just amazing. I, w- um, I will say two things about uh, Satan Metal Lady, and as, as I mentioned, this is Arthur Edison um, as cinematography again. One, there is a lit outdoor scene, which you do not get in the other two Falcons. Right, yes. You get outdoor scenes, but they're they're always in the dark, and they're always claustrophobic, and I I mentioned this last time. Mm. Here, there's one one outside a hotel, and she drives off, and he drives off, and that's just not... However, there is the one perfect shot, and I'm going to put this in the show notes, because it is such a perfect shot, of uh, Mm. David Davis in a raincoat lurking in the shadows... With those eyes, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's 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 almost completely wasted, but it's a yes. gorgeous shot. <laughs> I, I suppose the main problem, I uh, well, aside from the fact it's not fine, uh, it's a fine line between Bogart's kind of character, who is just effortlessly, he's he's a know-it-all, but you know he's bluffing, and the whole time he's veering on the edge of flying, falling right on his arse. You know, you can tell mm-hmm. he's he's winging it, and he's just phenomenally good at it. Yeah. Compared to the character in Saint Met a Lady, who is just an arsehole. I mean, it's... Yeah. It, and it, they're the same sort of character, but that's just how the performance can make a difference, how the dialogue can make a difference, that Bogart becomes this screen icon. Mm. Um, and this guy, whose name I can't remember, I'm being very cruel to him. I just he... Warren William. Warren is, William is, is, is he... the male lead in Satan Metal Lady. Um, I feel he's yeah. hard not to take a dislike to, <laughs> <laughs> but maybe that's just me. He, he he was generally typecast as a predatory businessman in westerns, that kind of thing. Right. Okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, he played D'Artagnan. Uh, right, okay, yeah. In, well, in the James Whale Man in the Iron Mask in thirty nine. Yeah. I did he? Oh, interesting. Okay, um, I, <laughs> I'd be um, no, I, I might have to reassess that. Um, but uh, l- probably l- a combination of things. At, at the best, this role does not use him well. 
It does not fulfill. So I, I guess I'd like to move on from that to, mm. you know, we've talked about noir and we've talked about neo-noir. I mean, uh, and Maltese Falcon is supposed to be the defining film right at the, the, the beginning of noir. I mean, there were films that preceded it, but really... Well, well I, I, the... I think the connection one has to make is, is to German Expressionism. Yes, which has a lot of the same visual elements, and of course, you you had a whole bunch of German filmmakers coming over to America in the late thirties for some reason. Can't imagine why. Well, this is what I'd like to do: is to some extent pin down what noir means, because it, it's one of those definitions that can mean a lot of things. You can talk about it visually. You know, these films are literally darker, hmm. um, which is noticeable, which was quite helpful to to turn around. And, and yes, they are their lighting is very distinctive. Um, so that's one marker of it. Of course, you know that we have that high contrast, dark films. But it's also taken as a kind of a darkness of the soul, a kind of existential, uh, humans are all shitty to each other. Um, <laughs> and they're all, everyone's on the take and everyone's out to get each other else. Is it, would you take, would you also have that as a definition of noir? Well, I, I'm going to haver a bit because, okay. uh, there, there's, there's a guy on the, on a, on a um, on the Steve Jackson Games forum, in fact, mm. who's talking about something slightly different, but but uh, a, a quote that I stole from the, this is uh, credit to D. Carson: uh, genres don't have edges as much as they have landmarks. If, uh. if you can see lots of landmarks from one genre, that's probably the one you're in. But there are places where you can see landmarks from several genres. And, yes. Yeah. I, there are there are things that you can say this is very likely to be noir. But you can have a noir police procedural. You can have a noir yes. gothic romance. You can have a yeah. Oh yeah, they don't all have to be hard boiled detectives. But there is a so so I, you, I... you could say in that sense it's not a genre in that there aren't standard plot elements exactly. I mean, many noirs are urban. The, these certainly are, but there there's noir in small towns. There's noir on the open mm. road. Well, I suppose that's why I, I've sort of picked the the kind of psychological aspect to it in that it is more about the uh, I don't know, the, not so much the darkness of the human heart, but the, the deep cynicism of the human heart um, and yeah the, these films often had ambiguous, not entirely happy endings um, mm -hmm. and so I, I think for me that would define a noir I mean there are archetypes which often appear, as you say, they don't. all these elements don't have to appear in any noir film which, but the problem then is you can argue any film into being a noir to some extent um, well, Chinatown I, I, I don't think I'm ever going to argue with anybody who disagrees with me that this is noir and that isn't yes, and I I'll, think that's I'll, I'll, I'll say what I think, but I, I, I won't say you're wrong if you say something else yeah, um, I, 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 it is a cliche to say I know it when I see it. I, I think the visual style <laughs> yes. is a big part of it. Uh, the low-key lighting, absent, the unbalanced in... composition, but that's not always the case. Well, we had Chinatown uh, last week, which is, you know, brightly lit California. Yeah. Um, but it has the archetypes. It has the hard-boiled detective or a spin on it. It has the femme fatale or a, a spin on her. Uh, so I, has... I think you, you end up treating it like a... Um, diagnostic manual you know you, <laughs> yes you, you, you could say here are 20 points and if you score more than seven of them you've probably got noir <laughs> uh yes i that, i think that's a good way of thinking about that well that's helpful for to me to, helpful to me to nail it down because i i feel different people define it differently and i think you're right it's very much a um uh, we've ticked enough boxes. This is this is probably noir. And I suppose in, in, terms, said... in terms of the visual style, I, I would I would argue that the forty one Falcon is much more so than the other two, which, which are much more conventionally shot for their for their time. Yes, they look like other thirty films. Maltese Falcon looks like eighties <laughs> later forties films. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it uh, well one of our definitions of was this a masterpiece? I suspect I know your answer to this. Um, but well, it, uh, um, it, it is clearly well respected by critics both at the time and since. Yes, uh, it is clearly widely imitated. Yes, it's also it's also a film I like a lot, and it's nice when that aligns. But I don't expect <laughs> it to. It doesn't always. Yes, I think that's it. it was, uh, wide critical acclaim, and uh, uh, yeah, not just that it was widely imitated. Uh, for years, and is still being imitated. You know, even Blade Runner and beyond. There's so many films you could name. In fact, every film we've covered. You, you could say Fritz Lang's M, which is 1931 in Germany, 
has guess, yeah, yeah. the protagonist is a criminal. It's got a noirish visual style. It's got a noirish plot. Is that it? Maybe um... it doesn't have a happy ending. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but then I don't know. Not having a happy ending is kind of the happy ending in it. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, that's a depressing film. Again, amazing performance by Peter Lorre. <laughs> um, yes. Well, so there's another film we haven't talked about uh, yet, which uh, yeah. may speak some volumes. Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. So Chinatown was our... Okay. Well, we, the the other reason... I want to segue into this by way of neo-noir. Like, you could argue every film we've watched so far, Badlands, Chinatown, uh, Maltese Falcon, are noir. Bonnie and Clyde, oh, I think you'd have to stretch much more to argue as a noir film, except for the fact it's got criminals and it ends badly. Um, I, I think one could, one could reasonably call that some some of the you know, proto- prototypical what I think of as neo noir. So we're still talking about criminals, but we're, we're being much more explicitly violent. Yes, and yeah, it's not going to end well. <laughs> well, in some ways, so neo noir perhaps often escapes the urban environment um, and has people less motivated by. Uh, obvious reasons for it, you know, in the Maltese film, it's very clear what is motivating them. In both Badlands and Bonnie and Clyde, uh, less so Bonnie and Clyde though, but in Badlands, it's really not clear why they're doing these terrible things entirely, other than they just sort of feel like it. Um, yeah, which it feels which, which like you a whole lot more of the in, in in the code days. You know, a criminal's got to be a bad person for, for bad reasons. <laughs> which is why, and I don't want to argue about definitions for reasons we just explained. Which is why I suppose I would feel Chinatown is basically classic noir. It, it's it's all yeah, the tropes of noir. I, I, I will continue to argue that it relies on the viewer knowing those tropes so that they can be subverted. But it starts off by rely, relying on those tropes. Yes, so. fair enough. Whereas um, Badlands was certainly neo noir, and yes, probably Bonnie and Clyde. So. The Long Goodbye, Robert Altman's Philip Marlowe um, uh, yeah. story. Uh, I, I, so, so I, yeah, this is a fifty-three novel originally, right? And it, it was the it was one of I think two that didn't get filmed practically as soon as it was off the presses. Okay, and um, is there a reason for that? Well, it was also the one Chandler wrote while his wife was dying. Right. Okay. And the the mood is definitely. I mean. <laughs> There, there is a predominant, there is a feeling in this film, and yeah, this seventy-three film, and and it's set contemporary. Yes, and you, there there is a continuing feeling that you know everything is broken, everything is horrible, everything is pointless. Uh, the book is even worse. <laughs> right. Okay. So it's even darker than that. Well, I'm gonna. I have a slight history with Altman in that I, in my watching of these films so far, I've bumped into him a few times, principally with Mash. Um, now, I have very fond memories of MASH uh, from the TV show and Alan Alder, of course. Um, the film I just found the most hateful, misogynistic, homophobic, unfunny. Mm. I just, I did not like it whatsoever. You know, there's a whole, um, not a whole scene, there's a whole like third of the film where the, the comedic gag is a dentist failed to get it up with one of the nurses, then decides he's gay and therefore decides to kill himself. And it's, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty hateful, I found. So, Mash, I did not like at all. Um, then we got went on to McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which I liked a lot more. Um, still didn't love. And then we're on to this, and Altman has this kind of... He likes to do realistic dialogue, um, and kind of which largely means mumbled, uh, running into other people's sentences. And as an audience member, hard to follow. Um, they had Lee Brackett bluntly. working on this script. Yeah, Lee Brackett was good. Yeah, um, <laughs> I mean yet. this. This is considered by some, by many, to be a masterpiece. The longer by you know Elliot Gould is thought of as a, an amazing portrayal. I, as I understand really it, didn't so, work for me either. Well, Elliot Gould is this. He's supposed to be a man out of time. He's supposed to be. Uh, they called him Rip Van Marlow when they were mm-hmm. filming it. He's supposed to be a fifties gumshoe awakened to a seventies film. I didn't. Aside from reading around, I didn't particularly feel that. Frank, I just... Frankly, I, I get more of that feeling from Nicholson, who obviously looks like a seventies man in Chinatown, even if it's fair enough. happening yes. in the in the in the thirties. Yes, I think that's fair. Yeah. At least from my point. Yeah. There's... 
this, yeah, and then the, oh, that soundtrack. Oh God! <laughs> I did for some John reason Williams. Robert Altman. Did, uh, oh, took it upon himself to have one song, The Long Goodbye, and then work that into every from plonky piano in the background to uh, romantic uh, pop. To, oh, just I, I was so sick of it by the end. There is only one song that isn't The Long Goodbye, which is right at the end, um, <laughs> which is after the, the somewhat violent shock conclusion. Um, and I just, uh, uh, that was, I've forgotten which song it was now, but it seemed to be <laughs> saying all, I, I, I'd made a note of it as well, because it seemed to be trying to say something clever, and I just didn't work for me either. Oh. Hooray for Hollywood? Hooray for Hollywood, which seemed to be, I don't know, yes, exactly, seemed to be, I don't know, Altman's comment on the studio says, or whatever, I don't know, I don't know. I mean, there's two moments of pretty unpleasant violence in the longer by one is when a character uh, smashes a bottle in the face of a a woman um a completely innocent woman who just sort of happens to be in the scene i'm not i'm not really sure what the point is it's the most one of the most shocking scenes of violence i've seen in a film because mm-hmm. it's um, unprecedented it's not particularly graphic but it's deeply unpleasant and i don't yeah I don't know if that's in the book or what. I don't. I, I. I don't know. But I just. I just left a pretty sour taste. It didn't seem. Maybe it's to establish that character as an absolutely brutal bastard. <laughs> but yeah, I, I. I don't know. And then, so how do you t- tell me about the the? Well, what do you feel about Elliot Gould's Philip Marlowe in it? What? What? How would you it describe just, him as? Yeah, it just doesn't. Doesn't do anything for me. I'm. It just. Here's this guy. He's a scruffy guy. So what? Why? Why? Why do we? <laughs> All right. It's it's a, a thing I've mentioned before. But if if I'm meant to sympathise with him, if I've meant to care whether he succeeds in solving the case, yes, I could have a reason yeah. for that. Not just he's the guy I see first. He doesn't seem to care about anything in the whole film, and I know that is played up as a front of his. Um, and that, you know, he's got, he improvised a line of dialogue, which everyone thought was genius. Everyone thought was genius, which is like, um, it's okay by me. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, all right. Well, that, it, that seemed to sum up his character. Um, okay, well, the things that were happening were not okay by me. <laughs> and, and so I wasn't particularly sympathetic to Marlowe himself. I didn't really care about the victims either. I didn't really yeah. care about uh, anyone. Sterling Hayden, who played Roger Wade, yes. was, was reportedly uh, either very drunk or very stoned or both pretty much any time he was on set, I which, which would... may explain his performance a bit. Yeah, I would not disagree. Um, I don't know whether it was overacted or badly acted or just... I I don't know. I I didn't respond to any of the characters at all. And then we have this final scene. um, So this entirely laid-back, largely unengaged character who, I don't know, doesn't really seem to care about anything, suddenly gets extremely angry um, Mm. that he's been taken for a ride. And in a, a shock final moment, he shoots his friend... Um, and then Dan's like, not only does he show no remorse about it, he's dancing his way through the end credits. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I meant to make of that. Um, uh, perhaps I, it left me emotionally cold, emotionally unmoved, intellectually uninterested. <laughs> so I don't know if it was a masterpiece. Then it wasn't for me. Well, let, let, let's go back to uh, what one we've skipped over: uh, the big sleep. Oh, of course. Sorry, Roger. Yes. Uh, because, you know, th- this is... Okay, even, even the year is a bit contentious. So so they finished this in 45. Yes. Uh, and a, f- a few copies got out to, you know, entertain the troops, that kind of thing, but it didn't get wide release because um, Warner suddenly realised, hang on a minute, the war is ending. We've got this huge warehouse full of war films we've made and the public's going to get bored with them soon, so we've got to pump those out now. Oh, well, Okay. And so, by the time it came back, it came back to yes, okay, now now we can release this in in forty six. Um, Bogart and Bacall had become a thing, largely because of to have and have not. Right. Yes. Okay. So it got a thorough re-editing. They they re they shot a bunch of new material. It's, there's about twenty minutes of completely non-overlapping material, and one of the things they cut out 
was a conversation with the DA where they lay out what they actually know so far. <laughs> ah, that might have been helpful <laughs> in the big speech. However, uh, it, the, this is the one where, where famously um, they, they um, sent a telegram to Chandler to say, okay, what actually did happen to, to the chauffeur, Owen Regan? Did did somebody kill him or was it actually an accident? And he wrote back saying, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Mm. I, I there, mean, there I are, love the... There are bits that work. It, to me, yes. this is a very much inferior film to, to compared with The Maltese Falcon, partly because I love The Maltese Falcon. But yes. um, even the original cut has that upbeat ending. You oh, know, really? Um, so yeah, we're, very... we're, we're going to get your sister some treatment, or you're going to get your sister some treatment with with your daddy's money. Uh, but basically, they they are they are clearly hanging around together, and, and togetherness is going to happen. That is not in the book. Okay, <laughs> no, it doesn't feel very uh, noir. Dare I say it? Either no, that's true. Uh, Marlow in, is in, much... in the book. He go, goes off thinking, "Oh, that 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 floozy in the bookshop was nice. Not not the good <laughs> floozy in the bookshop. The evil floozy in the bookshop." Okay, okay. Uh, yeah, the the good floozy in the bookshop. Dorothy Malone. Mm. So you somehow never seemed to get the big breaks, but was in a bunch of crap and what occasional good thing. And that that's a superb sparking scene. Yes, yes, yeah. the Bogart Bacall stuff works too. But that that scene alone is 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 damn good. Fitty about the glasses uh, thing, but hey, that's my fetish. So, <laughs> I, I suppose this. Uh, I mean, the big sleep works for me in the sense that I mean, not as a, not as one of my favourite films, but as a film that I will happily watch because of the the cast and the acting and the the charisma on display, which is, you know, it's phenomenal. But it is let down by a, a nonsensical plot. Um, which just I I really do want to know what's happening scene to scene, and that is very. If you try and follow the big sleep, um, it's it's almost pointless. Endeavor. Much of it makes sense, but yeah, the the I I very much got the feeling of this is basically a series of incidents chained together. It's style over substance, um, and Lee, I don't mind. Worked on this one as well. I'm thinking less of her. Wow. Okay. Well. <laughs> um, uh, I, I have seen the original cut of The Big Sleep, and it is a bit more coherent, but it is also a much worse film. You've reminded Be- me, I think because Lee it Brackett... doesn't have the, basically all the Bogart Bacall stuff and the, the horse, the uh, racehorse conversation. For oh, example. it doesn't. In the, okay, that, that, that was a later. That was issue. all filmed. At, yeah, well, that makes um, sense. Like, that's a so, subtle so scene. So, with, with that, with, <laughs> <laughs> without that spark to keep things going, it is a much flatter film. Okay, so maybe they did improve it a lot in the. Uh... Well, one of the few cases I think where studio interference is is unambiguously a good thing. Um, yeah, I mean it's a, it's a good. I mean it's a very lesser for me, really from other. I mean this isn't John Huston, but all the other John Huston Bogart um, uh, contributions to me, you know, the African Queen and um, mm. Treasure of Sierra Madre just... Uh, yeah, I, they, I, they, I, this is Howard Hawks, who's sometimes brilliant, but... Yes, yeah. Uh, i I got to say, I, I don't know whose decision it was, whether it was his, his or some, some editors, but the, this was the first of these films that I watched in chronological order where I found the, the soundtrack music distracting. Oh yes, okay, and, and yeah, then, then in the long goodbye, even more so. Oh. But yeah, <laughs> even here, it, it suddenly I'm noticing this music. I should not be noticing this music. It should be setting the scene for me. Yes, that's true. You know, both of the, when, whenever we've noticed the music, it's largely become an irritation to us. Um, yeah, that's uh, it's good. so. Yes, the big sleep less successful and not uh, not using classicness, but using charisma and style. It's still I, Bogart, I'm, and it's still Bogart it's still, doing the Bogart thing very well indeed. I, I'm not totally anti-style over substance. You know, Blade Runner is largely style <laughs> over substance, to be honest, and I love it. Um, so yeah, um, well, Blade, yeah, Cyberpunk is where Noir went to get its Botox injections. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, well, there we go. We can talk about future noir, and we probably will return to it as a genre. Have you more to say about noir itself? I, I, th- I think it would be fair to say that, at least at the moment, I'm, I'm at least a little bit noir noired out. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would like to see a different take on reality than everyone 
uh, everyone's out for a dime and wants, <laughs> and wants you dead. Um, well, we're just... a bit stuffed then. Oh, I mean, yeah. we're still in the seventies after all. Well, that's true. It's probably better than our own dystopian twenty twenty one. Let's face it. Um, well, um, I thought we'd move on to nineteen. Well, as as a as would be traditional chronologically, to move on to the next year, which I believe is nineteen seventy five. Is that where we're up to? Yeah, and, and a film that. I believe is one, one definitely one of your favourites, and that I have never seen. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how how that. Uh... <laughs> well, I'm slightly trepidatious by it, but we are talking about Jaws, uh, of course, talking about Jaws, which um, uh, trailblazed the blockbuster, I guess, or at least uh, as we yeah, come and to the, know it. The combination nowadays. of this in '75 and Star Wars in '77 basically said, "Here is a new sort of film," just as the studios were trying to reassert themselves after the new wave. So yes. It was heralded the end of the new wave in the way that Bonnie and Clyde heralded the start of it. To put it in a very easy <laughs> and very <laughs> arguable um, Pat's thing. I'm uh, very interested to see hear what you think of it. I feel bad because it has caused the death of many sharks um, since then in mm. the world. But it genuinely is one of my favourite films. And um, Maybe uh, once I've seen it, Liz Kingsley time. will start talking to me again. <laughs> Best of luck. Uh, meanwhile, um, we, we other, other episodes can be found on Ribbon of Memes, Org UK, or wherever you got this podcast from. The others should be there too. Well, there we go. All that remains for me to say is, here's looking at you, kid. Music.